0: Let's pray this morning. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you. We often say that we know that you died, that you rose again, and that you're coming again to judge the living and the dead. And that judgment that is coming is a judgment not of, of sin, that is not in the lives of your people, for that judgment was accomplished on your cross. But we know that the judgment that is coming is a judgment that will set things right. In this wicked world, things will finally be the way they should be. And this is our great hope, the blessed hope of your appearing, that when you come again, you will not only bring the judgment of the wicked, but the reward to the righteous. And so we look forward to, with anticipation, your great rewards on this earth and into eternity. And we pray for those that are wicked, that they would repent of their wickedness, and not be destroyed because they insist on continuing to reject Jesus Christ. But Lord, we also anxiously anticipate your judgment for when it comes, it will be deserved and it will be exactly when and what needs to take place. We trust you with all these things and pray that you would enlighten our hearts and our minds today through the study of your word in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning we're going to be looking at chapter 18. It's the culmination of three weeks of talking about the destruction of what is referred to as Babylon the Great. It'll be a little bit of a recap of the last two weeks and also an understanding that we we often talk about, and that is that God is going to bring his judgment on this wicked world system. Now, I want to start by saying that the scriptures tell us in John's Gospel in chapter 3, verse 16, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever should believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So don't tell me God doesn't love the world. He loves those in the world. He's not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. So it's clear that he loves the world. And yet John tells us, do not love the world or anything in the world. Because you see, the world system is something separate and different, distinct from those in the world. So it is fair to say, in our English language, we're a little limited because we use the same word for world. But it's fair to say God both loves the world and also does not, let's put it this way, does not have a problem judging the world. It's not that he hates the world. It's just that we're not to love the things of this world. And God doesn't love the things of this world, but he loves the people in it. So as we look at this judgment, keep that in mind that God has done everything both humanly and divinely possible to prevent this judgment from coming upon the hearts of those who would receive him. But if if, if people reject Jesus Christ, this is what ultimately will happen to the world that they embrace and the system that they live in. It's a system and a world that we as Christians reject. But this is what we're looking at today. So in chapter 18, verses 1 through 3, we're talking about a city, but it's more than a city. It's a system. We've talked a lot about it. It's a system of government. It's both a religious system and an economic system that will exist. It doesn't exist in this form today. It will exist in the future, and it will be destroyed. Strangely enough, it will be destroyed by the government system itself, by God's design. So, yes, God will allow it to be destroyed, but the actual destruction doesn 't so much come directly from the hand of God as much as it comes from the hand of those in the world who are wicked. So a wicked world system destroying another wicked world system that 's the best this world can hope to give you destruction. Now, as we look at the first few verses here in verses one through three, John is receiving a vision, and the vision has meaning. But in this particular chapter, a lot of it is not necessarily just a vision, but is actually a recording of what will happen. Very literal. But it starts with this. After this, John writes in verse 1, I saw another angel or messenger coming down from heaven, and he had great authority, and the earth was illuminated by his splendor. And with a mighty voice, he shouted, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a home for demons and a haunt for every evil spirit, a haunt for every unclean and detestable bird. For all the nations have drunk the maddening wine of her adulteries, the kings of the earth committed adultery with her, and the merchants of the earth grew rich from her excessive luxuries. So you see that this is primarily an economic system. Now, in the world today, most of the corruption that we see in both our government and in our world is linked to money to economics. When someone in power is corrupt, it's generally because they've been paid lots of money. And they do corrupt things because it's beneficial and profitable for them to do it. This is the way the world has always been. I I dare say that much of our history, even in this great nation that we have the privilege to live in, has been guided by and driven by economics. So it shouldn't surprise us that in the last days, a very demonic and evil government, world government, will in fact be motivated by economics, that is, profit. So, when I say these things, none of this should surprise us. The surprising part, I think, is the massive destruction that comes upon this system. Now, we've seen this before, we've seen this in our world. Uh, going back a hundred years ago, we saw, or nearly a hundred years ago, uh, we saw what we call the Great Depression. And our economic system really was bottomed out. And then we had another world war. And through our world history, we've seen over and over again, nations like Rome, kingdoms and empires, even like the United Kingdom, have risen to an apex of power and influence, only to be dismantled and destroyed over time. So none of what I'm going to share with you should surprise you or sound new. It's just that this will be the last time that a world system appears on the earth, and when it is destroyed by God's design, it will be destroyed and replaced with a government led by Jesus Christ. Can I hear an amen? So, what we've seen here is a description. And it's a description that tells us that in these first three verses, that there's an angel in the vision that comes and announces the judgment on a system that's called and referred to as Babylon, by the way, this was announced in chapter 14, verse 8. We mentioned it briefly. This is not the first time this destruction's been announced, but now it's imminent. It's about to happen. And the splendor of this messenger or angel illuminates the whole earth. This is not something that anyone could miss. And, and the angel proclaims by shouting in a mighty voice that Babylon the Great had fallen. Now, in the previous studies, we talked about a woman on a beast, and that was, of course, a symbolic representation of the city of Babylon, the great. The world's religions in the last days will ultimately merge into, as I've said, one global socioeconomic system. Yes, the marrying of religious and, uh, religions and politics in a system that doesn't allow for you to dissent. And we're already living in an age where our beliefs and our creeds, and our faith are under attack. Our values, our morals are already being brought into question in favor of a sort of an earth worship of, of, of a climate agenda where we as Christians are considered to be an anathema or a curse to this world system. We're the ones standing in the way of all of the things that will actually are evil, but all the things that they believe are good, and therefore we're evil and we must be eliminated, destroyed, and delegitimized. And so if you're feeling that as a Christian, we all are, that our Christian values are under assault in a a huge way. Can you imagine in the last days, when the church is no longer here, what kind of world this will be? I don't like to think of it. But it's still going to happen. When? I can't tell you. But this system referred to as Babylon the Great in chapter 17, now is coming to an end. And This Christ-rejecting religious system, which was based and will be based in Rome, will be satanic, greed-ridden, and inhumane. Not hard to imagine that either. Babylon, the system, will ultimately be destroyed by a coming world leader and his kingdom. So, strangely enough, the kingdom destroys the system. The kingdom destroys the system. Why would a kingdom destroy a system? Well, we see it now in our world. There are many kingdoms and powers destroying the system of government we have in our nation, selectively dismantling our freedoms. But this is happening throughout the world. Why does a government dismantle a system? To control. This is not hard to imagine. We, we saw it in Europe in the 30s and into the 40s. We saw it in Japan. We've seen it throughout our world, within our history This is nothing new. What will happen in the last days will be nothing new. It will simply be at a grander scale. So as these things begin to happen, Babylon will ultimately be destroyed. And I can say amen because a world system that's wicked and abuses people should be destroyed. And God will destroy it. Amen? Well, the word that is mentioned there, fallen, fallen, is Babylon the Great. Let's talk about the word fallen. I looked this word up and it's a deep word. It has a lot of meaning. I think all of these things are somewhat true, some more than others. But this is the definition of this word in Greek, fallen. It has several very interesting applications. It can mean to be thrust down, to fall under judgment, or come under condemnation. And that makes sense. It could also mean to be overcome by terror, astonishment, or grief. It means to be under attack, the attack of an evil spirit, or to fall dead suddenly, Interestingly enough, it also can refer to the dismemberment of a corpse by decay. That is corruption. It means to perish, to come to an end, to disappear, to cease or be lost, to be cast down from a state of prosperity or fall into ruin. And this, in in regards to buildings or walls, if a building were to collapse or a wall were to fall over, that would be the appropriate word. It also means to lose authority, to no longer have force, or to be removed. From power by death. So fallen, fallen isn't just a light word. The word is used twice. In the ancient languages, especially Hebrew, but also Greek, when you would use a word twice, it was a way that we might say very fallen, but in the ancient languages you would say fallen, fallen, and it's a way of saying something of a magnitude twice as much as just saying fallen. So now you understand this announcement is a little bit more than just an announcement. It's an indictment, it's a declaration, it's a sentence, <clears throat> as well as an evaluation of the state of this world system. Can we say that the world has fallen, 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 fallen? Yes, we can today, and it's clear. One of the things we learn in verse 2 is that Babylon, at this time, again, we're talking about a system, and let me straighten this out right up front. We're talking about a system that has its origins in Babylon of old, but also in Rome, in ancient Rome. The system started in Babylon in Iraq, which is today Iraq, but ultimately made its way east to Rome. The religious system, the economic system existed and still exists to some degree in Rome today. There becomes some confusion as to in the last days where it will actually be located because it does have similarities with ancient Rome and ancient Babylon. And I'll address that in a little bit. It it could be both, and we'll see. But in either case, we're talking about a system more than an actual location at this point. But Babylon, this system, will have become a demonic stronghold during the last days. That is, the evil in this world will, will gather all of its power and use it to destroy lives, which we see already in our world. Babylon will have made all of the nations of the world drink of what's called the maddening wine of her adulteries. And, of course, the maddening wine represents Babylon's wicked influence over the nations. Wine has an intoxicating effect on people, and it will actually be a good description in the last days of the influence that this system will have on the world and the people in it. It mentions her adulteries, and, of course, adulteries are when you're not faithful to God in a spiritual sense. Her adulteries are the wicked practices that Babylon will inflict upon the nations. So you have wickedness. You have influence. Again, not hard to imagine this at all. Babylon will be guilty of seducing the people of the earth with these adulteries, the wine of her adulteries. Now, I spent two weeks going through a lot of this. This is a very brief recap. I refer you to the last two studies we went through to to delve into this a little bit more deeply, but there is a city on the earth that exists today that qualifies as Babylon the Great. It qualifies because it meets all of the criterion, but it isn't the Babylon that we're talking about that will exist in the future. It's the foundations of a city that will exist in the future. So let me be clear. The only city that qualifies as such is really the Vatican. It's not even Rome because Rome is a city that surrounds the Vatican and the Roman Catholic Church. Now, what I'm not saying is that the Roman Catholic Church of today is Babylon the Great as much as I'm saying it's the foundation of what will ultimately be Babylon the Great. The Roman Church has been wicked, but the church in the world, not just Roman but Protestant and otherwise, has been wicked throughout the centuries. This is nothing new. We know this. There's great wickedness and corruption within every institution made by man. And the church, Catholic, Orthodox, Protestant, non-denominational, is filled with corruption as well. And God will sort that out. We need to only be sure that we, as a church and as individuals, are not corrupt. Now, this city alone claims to be the worldwide headquarters of Christianity to this day. It's claimed this relationship since its beginning. And its pope or leader claims to be the exclusive representative of God, the vicar of Christ on the earth, in place of God. That's what that mer- word really means, the, the one who takes the place of God on the earth. The true vicar of Christ is the Holy Spirit, because he is with us and dwells in us by faith. But the pope claims this relationship or this position. And this church also promotes a lot of very false teachings. And we've talked about some of those things. Again, not my intent to hurt anyone's feelings or bash a denomination you may have grown up in or may still be involved in but it does promote some false images. One of the images is a false, sinless, perpetually virgin, all-powerful Mary. And I believe that's why when we talk about the woman that rides the beast, this system is described as a woman, not the real Mary, not the mother of Jesus, but the Mary, the fictitious Mary, the mythological Mary that really has its origins in ancient Babylon. For the image of the child, the Madonna and the child, is not original to Christianity or really not original to Catholicism. It goes all the way back to ancient Babylon. The names then were Semiramis and Tammuz and then it became something else. You know, in Egypt, I guess it was Isis. When they came to to Greece, there were other names that were used to describe these, these beings or these legends or these myths, these false religions. Ultimately, you find your way to Rome and so these You know, you have Venus, the god of love, or goddess of love. All of these different mythological legends point back to Babylon and the idea that there was once this woman who had a child. And the story goes something like this. The woman had the child. Sometimes the the, the woman uh, has the child without the aid of a father. And then sometimes uh, the son dies and is resurrected. And so it's sort of a counterfeit Christianity, which was established by Satan a long time before Christ. And so these images made their way in, the the statuary, the the images, the paintings, they made their way into ancient Rome because they were already there when Rome became a quote-unquote Christian empire. The Holy Roman Empire just simply adopted the images of ancient Babylon, but also applied them to Christianity. Now that's, that's just history. So when we talk about this this vision, the vision makes a lot of sense if you know the history of the church throughout our world since the time of Christ. And so the Vatican today is obsessed with earthly enterprise. You have to know that. It's a country. It's a city-state. Its history clearly proves this. If you're familiar with medieval history, you know this very well. It has always been engaged in adulterous relationships with the kings of the earth, Popes, kings, Holy Roman Empire, emperors, all of this was politics. So why do I say this? Because it, maybe it's not so much like that today. It's similar, but it's not to the same degree. But in the last days, it will be very much the way it was, let's say, 1,500 years ago, 2,000 years ago. So understand something. This is just going to revert back to a system that's already existed in Europe. There's nothing new. That's what I'm trying to say. It's nothing new. It's just a last day's application of things that have happened in our past and to a greater degree. So there you have it. And even Catholic historians acknowledge all of the facts that I've shared with you today. These are facts, and uh, I share them with you not to be disparaging, but to just share the truth. And anyway, it is possible. One of the things that I've found very interesting is that people are always confused. Is there a Babylon in Babylon? Is it Babylon in Rome? Is it Rome and Babylon? The answer to that question is yes, yes, and yes. Because you see, so much of what we learn here doesn't reveal the details of what will happen, but sort of a big picture view. I'm going to suggest something to you that I wasn't aware of for many years that I discovered a few years back. It is possible, I say possible because I don't know, that the Vatican may be relocated. From Rome to Babylon in the last days. The reason I say that is because Babylon has yet to be destroyed. And there's a lot of scripture that says that Babylon, the city of Babylon, will be destroyed. Babylon was taken over, it it was neglected, it kind of was moved away from, it exists, it was never destroyed in the way the Bible says it will be destroyed. And yet, all of the application of the last days prophecy fits the Vatican. So how do you marry that? Is it the Vatican? Is it Babylon in in the Middle East? Which is it? Well, we don't know, but I do know this. I'm going to read a scripture for you. Very enlightening, interesting scripture in Zechariah, in chapter 5, in verses 5 through 11, that I believe may unlock, may unlock the answer to that question. Uh, But then again, it is just a theory. In Zechariah chapter 5, verse 5, Zechariah is receiving... A vision of a woman in a basket. Check this out. Then the angel who was speaking to me came forward and said to me, Look up and see what this is that is appearing. And I asked, What is it? And he replied, It it is a, a measuring basket. And he added, This is the iniquity of the people throughout the land. And then the cover of lead was raised, and there in the basket sat a woman. And he said, This is wickedness. And he pushed her back into the basket and pushed the lead cover down over its mouth. And then I looked up and there before me were two women with the wind in their wings. They had wings like those of a stork and they lifted up the basket between heaven and earth. Where are they taking the basket? I asked the angel who was speaking to me. And he replied to the country of Babylonia to build a house for it. And when it is ready, the basket will be set there in its place. Very interesting, may have nothing to do with this, but I do find it interesting. The imagery is very similar and may unlock the answer. It could be that in the last days, there will be a merging of the Middle East and Europe in such, to such a degree that the headquarters of this religious system that started in Babylon made its way all the way to Rome may find its way all the way back to Babylonia, as this prophecy says. It wouldn't surprise me at all. And then if that were to happen, then all of the prophecy that we're going to continue to discuss today makes perfect sense. Because then the system and the city will be Babylon, and both will be destroyed, as we'll see in just a minute. So that is a plausible theory. I happen to embrace that theory, but it doesn't mean I'm right. It just means it's a theory, okay? But it's based on some scriptural evidence. And by the way, we don't have the answers to all these things. I don't profess to have all the answers. Just looking into it, don't plan on being here when it happens, right? So there you go. Okay. Well, one of the other things we're told is that the kings of the earth will have committed adultery with Babylon. Spiritual adultery is sometimes referred to like being in bed with a government. That language is used frequently to describe corruption simply corruption and wickedness. And, of course, Babylon, the system, will be guilty of spiritual adultery with the world. We've talked about that already. And God spoke of Jerusalem, the city of the Jews, in the same way in Isaiah chapter 1. So when a city or a culture becomes corrupt, God will speak of it as spiritual adultery. But in order to be guilty of spiritual adultery, there had to be a marriage, if you will, In the case of Jerusalem, it's the city of God, God's people, the Jews, were there. They turned their back on God and became guilty of spiritual adultery. They were and are God's people. Well, in Christianity, we are God's people. And if Christians and a a group of individuals in a system that is Christian were to turn their back on God, they could also be guilty of spiritual adultery. But in order to be guilty of spiritual adultery, you would have had to have a relationship with God first. Are you with me? Right? Kind of hard to commit adultery unless you're in a marriage, right? So the idea here is that there was a relationship with the Jews that God had with with Jerusalem, and he called them spiritually adulterous many times. And now in the last days, we're told there's another system that apparently is a church-based Christian system and those in it will be guilty of spiritual adultery as well. So, we're also told in the latter part of verse 3 that the merchants of the earth will have grown rich from Babylon's excessive luxuries. Babylon will be both a religious system and an economic system, and its economic influence is directly connected to its spiritual influence. So that differentiates it from other cities. For example, when 9-11 took place, there was some talk about how New York was attacked. And it certainly wasn't destroyed, but a lot of it was, let's be honest. A lot of people were affected by that. Hardly the whole city, but there was a devastation that we still feel in our hearts today that affected all of us in some way, especially living here so close to the city. But you couldn't say that New York had committed spiritual adultery either, and you couldn't say that it fit the description of Babylon the Great. But, of course, there were many people who liked to have their name in the press and write books suggesting that, which simply isn't true. But they suggested that because it was and is the center of commerce on the Northeast. But, you see, in order to fit the bill, in order to be the city we're talking about, so much more has to be true. So we're not just talking about any old city. There are probably few, if any, other cities that could even come close to being described as Babylon the Great other than Rome or Vatican, the Vatican City in Rome. So that, that is, I think, pretty clear. Now, it seems that prosperity and materialism are the rewards for the religious devotion to this system. Is it hard to imagine today in our world, and these things will take place in the future, but is it hard to imagine a world where you are financially rewarded for embracing the values of wickedness. Is that hard for you to imagine? It shouldn't be. Today, it costs you something to embrace the values of God's word. In our culture, it does. In many places in the world, it can cost you your life. In our country... There is a great deal of persecution happening against Christians simply because we believe this book as the word of God. It's going to get worse. Again, I don't plan on being there when it happens. But even if I am, the truth is this. This is God's word. I don't dispute that, doubt that. This is the word of God. Amen? So, what happens next? Well, John hears a voice from heaven. Pronounce judgment on this city. And we read in verses 4 and 5, Then I heard another voice from heaven say, Come out of her, my people, so that you will not share in her sins, so that you will not receive any of her plagues or judgments. For her sins are piled up to heaven, and God has remembered her crimes. Give back to her as she has given. Pay her back double for what she has done. Mix her a double portion from her own cup. Give her as much torture and grief as the, luck, the glory and the luxury she gave herself. In her heart, she boasts, I sit as a queen. I am not a widow, and I will never mourn. Therefore, in one day, her plagues will overtake her. Death, mourning, and famine, she will be consumed by fire. For mighty is the Lord God who judges her. So judgment is coming to this system. I've looked at the world over the last few decades as I've lived in it, and I've discovered this. The world is marching toward an anti-God way of thinking. Every year becomes more clear to me, but economics are directly tied to it. So what did we learn in the scriptures? The love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, right? Jesus told us you can't serve God and money. Why the emphasis on money in the New Testament by Jesus and, and the other New Testament writers? Because to be honest, when it boils right down to, to it's, it really is a choice between your own enrichment or a relationship with God. It really is that simple. It really is. Everything we do in this world apart from God really is to enrich ourselves in one way or another. If you boil right right down to the, the facts, you're going to find out that most of what motivates those who are motivated not by God, but by this world system, are motivated by their own enrichment in one way or another. That's what we call corruption. So, this voice, this voice pronounces the judgment. The judgment hasn't happened just yet, but the pronouncement is made. And God is going to first notice, call his people to come out of Babylon so not to share in her sins or her plagues. That shows you something. God will not judge the righteous with the wicked. As we learned when Abraham had that conversation with God, right before Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed. There will be saints, those that love God, living in this most wicked place and in this system or around this system because anyone on the earth in those days will have made a choice. And God's wrath is only meant for those that reject his grace and mercy. God's wrath will never come upon you if you receive Jesus Christ. Can I hear an amen? Amen. That's what it means to be saved. Saved from God's judgment for sin. Saved for eternity and blessing. And that's why as Christians we make a decision to serve God. Well, if it's enrichment you really want, how about eternal? Eternal enrichment. How about the blessings of eternity with Christ? If you really want to be motivated... By something in that way, you really should think it all the way through. Because if you are motivated by self-enrichment, that day will come to an end when this day happens. But if you give your heart to Jesus Christ, there will never come an end to your spiritual blessings and even material blessings. All of it will be lavished upon you by a God who loved you and died on a cross for your sins. So to me, there's just simply no choice. It's not even really a choice, but... Some people haven't made that choice, and I pray they would. Well, the righteous in that day will be removed. Come out from among them and be separate. As it says here in verse 4, Come out of her, my people, so that you will not share in her sins and so that you will not receive any of her plagues. You and I, we have an opportunity to come out from this system and be separate. It's our choice. It's your choice to make. I pray you would make it. Because those who are living in that day will be removed like righteous Lot was removed from Sodom before the city was destroyed. God will judge the city, and specifically for its persecution of his saints. Her sins, we're told, will have piled up to heaven, and God will have remembered her crimes. You you think sometimes God forgets? God does not forget. The crimes... Against humanity, the crimes against God's people that have been perpetrated by evil and wicked institutions and governments and religious systems have not been forgotten by God. God sees it all. He will call it to judgment and He will justly judge her double for what she has done. God will give her as much torture and grief as the glory and luxury she gave herself. Have you ever stopped to think about all of the luxury and lavishness in some religious systems? And I'm not just pointing at one today all of them. And have you ever thought about how many mouths could be fed with some of the luxuries and riches that are used within certain religious systems? Have you ever stopped to think about that? Is that not the very definition of wickedness? To neglect the people within the system to enrich the system? That could describe any government or religious system that exists on this planet today. And I'm particularly sensitive to it. Now this woman, this system represented by a woman will boast in her heart that she sits as a queen and not a widow who will never mourn. But we know better. God will send plagues of death, mourning, and famine. It's going to overtake her in a single day. This system will be destroyed in one day. She will be, as it's described here, consumed by fire by the mighty Lord God who will judge her. The mechanism for that, though, is that the political system will destroy the religious system. But then the political system will also be destroyed we'll get to that next week all of this is very interesting but what does it mean for us it means you better have your heart right with god amen because we have a choice to make in this world we have a choice to make if you choose christ in his kingdom you have nothing to fear nothing to worry about because even if we perish in this world we will never perish in the next but if you haven't made that decision, if you're still clinging on to this system, if you invest in this system in a way where your life is invested in this corrupt system, the day will come. Maybe not for a long time. Maybe, maybe you'll live out your life and die and then be judged by God. But one day you will be held accountable for your sins. I don't worry about that. Oh, I have many sins in my life. I make mistakes all the time. I, I sin regularly because I'm a sinner. But I know this. I will not be judged because Christ was judged in my place. Amen? Well, the world will mourn the destruction of Babylon the Great, and let's read about that in verses nine through 19. And now we're going to really learn a little bit about how this will happen. In verse nine, when the kings of the earth, who committed adultery with her and shared her luxury, see the smoke of her burning, there you have an idea of maybe how this city is, and this system is destroyed. They will weep and mourn over her, terrified at her torment. They will stand far off and cry, Woe, woe, O great city, O Babylon city of power. In one hour your doom has come. The merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her because no one buys their cargoes anymore. Cargoes of gold, silver, precious stones and pearls, fine linen, purple, silk and scarlet cloth, every sort of citron wood and articles of every kind made of ivory, costly wood, bronze, iron and marble, cargoes of cinnamon and spice, of incense, myrrh and frankincense, of wine and olive oil, of fine flour and wheat, cattle and sheep, horses and carriages, and notice this, and bodies and souls of men. Sadly, we know this all too well, that human trafficking and the enslavement of people still continues in this world within this wicked system today, maybe because of the Internet and technology in even greater ways, which is horrific, to say the least. And it will exist right up until it's judged. They will say the fruit... You long for is gone from you. All your riches and splendor have vanished, never to be recovered. The merchants who sold these things and gained their wealth from her will stand far off, terrified at her torment. They will weep and mourn and cry out, Whoa, whoa, oh great city, dressed in fine linen, purple and scarlet, and glittering with gold, precious stones and pearls. In one hour, such great wealth has been brought to ruin. Every sea captain and all who traveled by ship, the sailors, And all who earn their living from the sea will stand far off. And notice that they stand far off. Why would you stand far off? That possibly is a clue to how this city will be destroyed. When they see the smoke of her burning, they will exclaim, Was there ever a city like this great city? They will throw dust on their heads and with weeping and mourning cry out, Woe, woe, O great city, where all who had ships on the sea became rich through her wealth. In one hour she has been brought to ruin. One hour. Burning, smoke, standing afar off. I'm not even going to speculate because I have no idea. Sounds like Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities of the plains. Could be something else. But it's destruction, that is for sure. So, the kings of the earth are going to weep and mourn, terrified at her torment, standing afar off. The destruction takes an hour. In this day and age, we... Understand that that can happen. We're old enough to remember or possibly have heard about nuclear weapons being dropped on Japan, Hiroshima and Nagasaki. We know what that looks like because we've seen the pictures. We understand that destruction can come that quickly in our world. did back in the 40s, but imagine today with the weaponry we have how quickly a system in a city could be destroyed. All of the things they sold, which we read through, so many things. Uh, They're going to be terrified, though, not just weeping and mourning, but terrified at the torment within this hour, witnessing the vanishing of all of her riches and splendor. Notice they're described as dressed in fine linen, purple, and scarlet cloth and adorned with gold, precious stones, and pearls. This, This goes back to chapter 17 because this system is dressed and adorned in the colors and trappings of the Roman Empire, pagan Rome, but also Christian Rome. What do I mean? Well, these colors, scarlet and purple, were the colors of the Caesars, and they also became the colors of the Vatican. In fact, we know this, they're still the colors of the Vatican. Catholic bishops wear purple, cardinals wear scarlet. Not hard to see the application. And this system will be adorned with the wealth and the jewelry of both pagan and Christian Rome as well i've said this before i'll say it again the roman catholic church is by far the wealthiest institution on earth you can't come close to the amount of wealth that's been gathered within this system there is no religious institution past or present, that even comes close most of rome's wealth has been acquired over centuries through the sale of salvation you pay you get to go to heaven Untold billions of dollars have been paid to purchase heaven on an installment plan. And that is an abomination. That is simply the truth. Now the maritime merchants that are mentioned there, they're going to stand far off as well. Mourning when they see the destruction. Because this will be a great maritime city. Maritime cities are generally places of trade. And we can expect to see that in the last days. But Babylon will ultimately be destroyed by the coming world leader and his kingdom, look back from last week, I believe it was, chapter 17, verses 16 through 17, we're told they're the beast, who is this coming world ruler, and the ten horns, who are the kings that serve, ten kings, serve along with this ruler, Those that you saw will hate the prostitute. The prostitute is the woman, the system. And they will bring her to ruin and leave her naked. They will eat her flesh and burn her with fire, for God has put it into their hearts to accomplish his purpose by agreeing to give the beast their power to rule until God's words are fulfilled. The woman you saw is the great city that rules over the kings of the earth. Now, that was written in John's day during imperial Rome, but it still applies today. So, this is God's doing, this is God's judgment. It's sad, but he does welcome people to come out of this system before he brings his judgment. But God has put it into the hearts of these governments to destroy this system for whatever reason they may decide to do it. It is God's doing. It is God's judgment. And that is simply the truth. Well, look at verse 20 with me. In verse 20, it says, Rejoice over her, O heaven. Rejoice, saints and apostles and prophets. God has judged her for the way she treated you. I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. Judgment needs to come. Oh, what kind of a God would judge a wicked world? A righteous God. i got another question for you. What kind of a God wouldn't judge a wicked world? Think about that. This judgment is coming, and the saints, apostles, and prophets in heaven, and all of us will rejoice over the destruction of this system. Those faithful saints that were persecuted and martyred, by this world system, will finally rejoice. God will judge Babylon for the way she has treated his people. Finally, in verses 21 through 24, we read this. Then a mighty angel picked up a boulder. And this is a vision. A boulder the size of a large millstone and threw it into the sea and said, With such violence... The great city of Babylon will be thrown down, never to be found again. The music of harpists and musicians, flute players and trumpeters will never be heard in you again. No workman of any trade will ever be found in you again. The sound of a millstone will never be heard in you again. The light of a lamp will never shine in you again. And the voice of bridegroom and bride will never be heard in you again. Your merchants were the world's great men. By your magic spell, all the nations were led astray. In her was found the blood of prophets and of the saints and of all who have been killed on the earth. So this is God's judgment. Talked about it. John sees this angel throw a large boulder into the sea. It's a symbol. It's a picture. He picked up a boulder the size of a large millstone and threw it into the sea. And of course, the millstone is linked to God's judgment against those that would harm his people. Or have we forgotten Matthew chapter 18, verses 6 through 7. I'll remind you what Jesus told us. He used this same imagery to describe God's judgment. He says, but if anyone causes one of these little ones, that would be his people, his children, who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a large millstone hung around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe to the world because of the things that cause people to sin. Such things must come, but woe to the man through whom they come. So that's the judgment that Christ described. And it's the judgment against the world system that will happen in the last days. And despite its wickedness throughout history, the Babylonian system and even the city of Babylon has never been destroyed. So God says it will be destroyed. It has never been destroyed. God's judgment has been prophesied against this city more than once. I will refer you to Isaiah, chapters 13 and 14, the destruction of Babylon. I will refer you to Jeremiah, chapters 50 and 51, the destruction of Babylon. And now Revelation, chapters 17 and 18, the destruction of Babylon. Yet it has never happened which goes back to why I believe this system will ultimately be located in the Middle East. Having said all that, this destruction, this city will be violently thrown down. No no more people working in it. No musicians. The light of the lamp will never shine in it again. It's, It's completely destroyed. What could possibly destroy a city to the extent that it would never be inhabited again? I think we understand that quite well. Here. At the end of this chapter, he condemns Babylon for for a couple of things. One, seducing the world's great men and for leading all the nations astray. And secondly, for shedding the blood of prophets and saints and those killed on the earth. So what do I expect? Let's bring it home. Let's bring it back to us because we're living in this day. We're not living in that future time. But what do I expect from this world system that's wicked and evil? I expect two things, and I see them every single day. I expect this system to seduce the world's great men and lead all the nations astray. That happening? Clearly. I also expect this wicked system to shed the blood of prophets, saints, and all those killed on the earth. We see that, and we're going to continue to see it. So, that is not a bright and cheery future. That is not the Mother's Day message you probably expected this morning. But it is, and you know why? Moms and dads, this is the world we live in. This is the world your children are growing up in. And this is the world that they're going to be adults in. There's never been a great time to live on this wicked planet, it's always been corrupt. But more than ever today, as we had a baby dedication, it's important to remember, you're dedicating your children to Christ with the hope that they will dedicate themselves to Christ. However we live, whatever world we live in, we need to be committed to Jesus Christ. Today, maybe more than ever. So, parents, families, this is what you have to accept. You can't run from it. You can't live in a little Christian bubble and think it's not going to touch you. We live in a wicked world. And if you venture out into this world, whether it's the business world or the athletic world or the artistic world or the political world, you're going to encounter this wickedness. Are you ready? Are you prepared? Well, the first thing you need to know, as I ask the worship team to come up, is that this, this world will try to influence you and your children. Remember what we said. It looks to influence and seduce the great men and women of the world, but it will also seek to influence you if you allow it. You need to be on your guard. Be sober and vigilant. Your enemy, the the devil, is like a roaring lion seeking to devour. The other thing we see is the shedding of blood. Prophets, saints, and all those killed on the earth, I think it would make the wicked system very happy if all of a sudden, all of the church was suddenly no longer here. And I want to tell you something. I believe that will happen. And when that day happens, you can bet that what's left behind will be so horrific that you wouldn't want to live here. So what do you want to do? You want to set your heart with Jesus Christ now. Because if he calls us out, and he will call us out in one way or another, if we're called out of this world, you want to be called. You want to be chosen. You want to be brought out of this wicked world and into the kingdom of God for all eternity. Let's pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, we know that if we set our hearts on you and give our hearts to you, you have promised that you'll never leave us nor forsake us. You've prepared a place in heaven for us. You told us it's true. You've gone there to prepare it. It's been 2,000 years, and you've prepared that place for us at your side. Your scripture tells us that we'll be caught up together to meet you, and forever we'll be with you if we belong to you. But there will also be many who will say, Lord, Lord, but they will not have known you. We don't want to be among those that are hypocritical and profess to know you when they don't. Touch our hearts. Set our hearts right. And we pray for our children, all of our children. And I pray for the moms and dads raising those children. That we would be honed in on the importance of that role in our world today and within the church that the most important thing we can do is prepare them for the wickedness of this world, the wickedness we have to live in, that they might always belong to you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.